Crypto taxes don't have to be a nightmare. Uh, today we're joined by Justin McCormick, who's a, tech, a crypto tax specialist with Founders CPA. Uh, Justin helps clients get through the stressful nightmare that could be the you know, crypto taxes. Um, and also you know, jumps into other aspects of tax planning, including tax loss harvesting and uh, giving people uh, a way with their unique situation to approach taxes. So Justin, great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Vanessa. Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, you know, as, as everyone knows who's here, typically, and as always, the show is about learning, uh, not about FOMO or financial advice. Uh, now, often we don't talk to folks who do give financial advice, but in this particular instance, uh, you are not paying Justin, you're not paying me. Um, so anything you hear here, please just uh, take it as an opportunity to learn. If you have a particular tax situation that you need professional help with, uh, please find a professional tax person and have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with them. Uh, here we are, we're gonna be talking about taxes in general for crypto. Uh, there'll be a lot of great information and perhaps some things you'll need some support with. Um, and with that all being said as well, uh, we love to get to know the folks who join us here on Just Crypto. So Justin, tell us a little bit about your journey. Obviously, crypto is a, a growing space, but not everyone is uh, kind of brought up in crypto. How did you find crypto? I uh, heard about it a little bit in undergrad. My undergrad was in computer science. I had a buddy that was really into Bitcoin at the time, uh, told me to invest. You know, hindsight, I wish I had, but kind of didn't believe in it then. Um, went to law school, kept hearing about it. Uh, went, when I was in law school, I was very interested in like areas of the law that kind of crossed with tech, since that's my background, and then kind of just landed in the crypto tax uh, legal sphere. So it's been a fun journey so far. So you're, you're actually also a, a lawyer by, uh, by I guess, credentials. <laughs> yes, I do have a Juris Doctorate. Currently non-practicing is the core of my job doesn't require it. Uh, my job's more of like data analysis, putting together the puzzle and so forth. Uh, it does help though, being able to like read statutes, go over the IRS memos and so forth though, the legal background though. Awesome. I, I love it. So accounting background, data background, computer science background, and legal background. Um, it feels like sometimes that's what we need in order to even start thinking about crypto taxes. Um, have you played uh, or have you been in any of the other sphere apart from Bitcoin? Like, well, what do you do today in crypto personally? Uh, currently, I'm just holding and staking. I, I try and keep my own taxes to a minimum as far as like activity goes. Uh, when I started, trying to learn like how to actually do these taxes though, I would take what clients are doing and replicate it myself. So I got into mining for a bit. I got into liquidity pools, bridging, all the fun stuff. I feel like I've done a little bit of everything. I've played NFT games, et cetera. So like my 2021 activity, which is the main core of like when I started doing all of this, uh, it's kind of wild. Thankfully that's done. I've reconciled it and 2022 and so forth has been a little bit more tame. <laughs> I love it. You've had a front row seat to yeah. uh, all the DJing that's possible in the crypto world. A, a little bit, if not myself, at least through my clients. So, um, so you're, you know, you're with a Founder CPA. Maybe that's a good place to start. Is just to give folks a little background on what Founder CPA is. How did Founder CPA start? And some some details about the the company. We'll dive into some specific things around, uh, you know, specific ways to think about different tax scenarios. But uh, let's start with Founder CPA. Yes, Founder CPA uh, was created in 2017 by an individual named Kurt Mastio. He used to work at, I believe, Deloitte, Big Four, uh, kind of pivoted, wanted to start his own accounting firm, 
His original client base is startups, kind of where we got the name from. We work with founders mainly. And from there, we kind of bridged from accounting to tax. And then I believe eventually in like 2017 or 2018, one of his clients came to him with like an Ethereum mining tax situation. And that kind of started his uh, journey down the rabbit hole of crypto taxes. And so from there, they've been offering crypto services. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to join this firm last September. And it's been a fantastic journey so far. So we offer uh, accounting, CFO, tax, and digital asset services. So like for individuals, you probably just need crypto tax and or tax, depending on your needs. Uh, businesses generally can use like three out of the four. Some don't want the CFO, some do. Uh, so we're kind of there to support startup companies in their entirety. That's awesome. Uh, you know, one thing I love is that you're actually kind of leaning into all aspects of digital assets. I, I know when I speak to my accountant, he's like, yeah, the crypto stuff, good luck with that. Figure it out yourself. All the other stuff I'm, I'm happy to do. I'm like, no, but that's the one that's hard. <laughs> Yeah, and two, uh, I think what a lot of businesses don't realize is uh, crypto taxes from like an individual standpoint are very different from an accounting standpoint. Because accounting, you need things to like perfectly balance within some small rounding error, right? Uh, for individuals, you know, we have a little bit more leeway. Additionally, the end result there is just, you know, maybe the individual pays an extra couple of dollars in taxes, which is not worth fixing, at least with my hourly rate. But businesses have to have it balanced. So it's a lot more complicated. Uh, and generally overlooked. Awesome. So uh, we do have the link down below if folks are looking to, uh, you know, are looking for someone who's uh, tax experts, uh, foundercpa.com. This is their their website. Um, I have not used them. I have no affiliation with them, uh, but there might be someone you want to consider and at least, you know, have a conversation if that's what you're looking for. Um, folks who are here live, as we also like to do, if you have questions, comments, uh, let us know that you're here. Drop a hi in chat. Uh, if you're watching afterwards, uh, drop a comment as well. We do take a look at the comments. Uh, we've got Sirkarin, who's here, who's saying taxation is theft. Um, <laughs> now for posterity, it's on YouTube. And Chocolate, he is asking, you guys pay crypto tax? Is he going to jail? Um, I don't know if that's a question we should get into just yet, but please pay your taxes. Uh, it's, it's very important to maintaining your freedom. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, you, you know, I guess the whole idea, idea of crypto taxes and the various different areas that people need to consider. Uh, and perhaps, uh, Justin, if you could enumerate, like, what are all the different types of activities that people do that can incur some tax liability? And uh, how, do, how should people think about each of those different situations in terms of when they're coming to file taxes? Where does it fit into the tax, tax code? Absolutely. Uh, as far as taxable events go... <laughs> The IRS kind of likes to lean on most things are taxable. So it's kind of like an easy starting point. If you're unsure, just assume it is. So things like staking, mining, probably even bridging or wrapping an asset are taxable as well. Uh, the one that's still kind of like 50-50 is liquidity pools. Those are very case by case, but that's a little bit stronger of an argument for either side. Uh, and then you have like derivatives, right? Loans are non-taxable. Uh, but if you're doing like something more complicated, like a short, or you're betting on a future, that makes the data a lot more complex. So generally, my advice would be, honestly, for, for most people prior to even starting whatever your plan is, it would do you very well just to reach out to someone and, you know, pay for like an hour consultation, get some advice. Like, for example, the thing I saw a lot last year with, you know, the downtrend in 
crypto valuations was a lot of people staking, and that counts as ordinary income, right? So that's a different tax bracket than capital gains. So if you have 100K in staking, and then you know your assets are worth 20K by the end of the year and you sell it all, maybe you have an 80K loss, but those don't cancel out, not at least our tax laws written. So the remaining 20K is going to owe all to taxes, and that may not even be enough. So situations like that are what you really want to avoid, uh, especially before, you know, you get too deep and it's unfixable. Oh, that, that's very interesting. So one thing worth noting is a lot of this that we're talking about is specific to the US, right? It's not yes. global. Obviously, there's different jurisdictions. Um, but let's let's tease apart each of these. So uh, staking was the one that, that you started with. Um, staking, it sounds like it's counted as ordinary income. Uh, talk a little bit about capital gains and how ordinary income interplay and the considerations that you should have there. Uh, so ordinary income is essentially like in one bracket and capital gains are in another. And so all capital gains and losses within the same subtypes, you have short-term and long-term, aggregate together. So if you have 100K in short-term gains, but you also have 100K in short-term losses, those cancel out. You owe nothing. So that's kind of a neat feature there. The problem when you're trying to go from bracket to bracket is the tax law is written where you can only deduct 3K in losses against ordinary income a year. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where people really get hurt. Those losses don't go away. So, you know, if you have 6K in losses, that remaining negative 3K will roll forward to the next year. But that doesn't really help the same as, you know, paying in a large sum this year and then getting like a smidge of a tax break for the next 20 years or whatever. <laughs> so that's what we see a lot. And it's very uh, unfortunate. And one rule of thumb you can do is if you're doing anything that's an income event, whether it's staking, mining, or anything of that nature, you know, come up with a percentage. I like 30%. Every time you get the asset, assuming it's not a stable coin, just sell it. Sell 30%, put it aside for taxes. If that's too much, you'll get money at the you know, end of the year, like a typical tax refund. And if it's, you know, not enough, hopefully it's enough to like not make your situation terrible. Awesome. I think that's great about So the, the short term and the long term capital gains are also separate buckets as well? Yes. Yeah, so they aggregate within each other. And then at the end of the year, they aggregate um, like the two different types. So if you have short-term, if they're both positive, they don't aggregate. Because long-term have a, has a better tax bracket rate. So like long-term, 0, 15, or 20%, where short-term eventually just gets added to your ordinary income. So that could be as high as, you know, 50%, depending on where you live. Um, but if you have losses in one of those, like losses in short-term, gains in long-term, those do offset and vice versa. It's just when they're positive, they don't aggregate. I think there's something important there for folks to hear is that if you're doing short term, the tax rate could be up to 50%. So if you're an active trader and you're, you know, degening out on a desk doing something, uh, half of that money is going to fund uh, your friendly government. <laughs> and you should consider, I guess, whether the gains you're making from doing all that activity are, are worth that given the haircut that you would take. Yeah. So one thing to note there too is like your losses will offset, assuming they're within the same tax year in short term. And 50% is just kind of the max. Like, that's assuming you're in the max tax bracket and you live in a state like California. You know, it's obviously going to be a bit better if you live in an incomeless state like Texas or Florida. Um, and then it depends where you are, you know, in the tax bracket. Awesome. So, you know, as far as capital gains, this is typically people, you know, buying Bitcoin, selling it higher or, or lower. Um, are there other scenarios that incur capital gains tax apart from just buying and selling? Uh, I think the most common one would be trading is what people don't think about. So technically when you're trading, like say you're on a DAX, right? And you're trading Ethereum 
for I don't know the new altcoin that just came out uh, called Pepe, right? When you're when you're selling the ETH, you know that's going to have a capital gain event because that's a sale. The purchase won't, but considering a trade, a sale, and a buy, like that first half will be a capital gain event. Um, besides that, like if you're using your crypto for anything, like if you have a debit card or you're buying merchandise, that's the same as selling it using the cash. So that's another taxable event. And I think those are the main two common ones that people uh, generally don't think about. Everyone kind of has the whole, when I sell it, you know, for cash, it's taxable. Now, something else which is interesting is we, we've had a fair amount of volatility in stable coins uh, here. Yeah. <laughs> now, if I was going between, say, uh, USDC and the, the previous Luna UST and trading back and forth between stable coins, is that also a taxable event, even though they're quote-unquote stable coins? Yes. So that's the... We don't have answers yet from the IRS. Can we count stable coins as a dollar? When it comes to UST and when a stable coin depegs that massively, I think there's a really strong argument that it's not worth a dollar and you unfortunately <laughs> have to use like the market pricing. Uh, I think that gets complicated, especially in a fact pattern like UST. I mean, it went from a dollar to, you know, fractions of a cent in a week. So that's kind of a rough one. Um, alternatively, like if you're using USDC right now, if you use a lot of softwares, they might give you a number like 0.99 something for the valuation. Or if you just want to round up to a dollar, I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, but when it depegs, that's kind of when you need to be more safe about it. Interesting. It, it does remind me of a couple strategies that people have, which is if you're, uh, you say there's an over collateralized stable coin like, like DAI, which is a little bit more variable to its peg. There are yeah. some trading st strategies that would trade between, say, DAI and USDC and ultimately make a profit over that. Um, mm -hmm. So while I guess on from what we've been talking about, you could consider them both as a dollar, how does the IRS look at kind of making profits trading stablecoins back and forth? So if you're trading stablecoins in that fact pattern, I would shy away from calling them all a dollar. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a bit safer to call it a dollar if it's like an income event or if you're buying like real life merchandise or something mm. when it's an inflow or in an outflow by itself. When it's a trade, it kind of depends. Like if you're getting, you know, one-to-one -one volume wise, it's a bit safer, but if you're getting, you know, 10 more die and you're trading USDC, you know, that kind of shows, paints a better picture for there's a game there. Okay. Interesting. So, uh, it is very curious that some of these laws seem to be very much uh, up for interpretation, depending yeah. on the context and the situation. Um, That's generally the tax world. Uh, every little fact matters. So like our laws are written pretty well, maybe not in the crypto space yet. We still have a lot of questions and not enough answers, but everything's going to come down to the facts. So like if you change one fact, you may get a different answer from me, even though, you know, the 99 other ones mm -hmm. stay the same. Now, with, with trading, um, I've heard of something called uh, wash sales and mm -hmm. how that may be treated differently in crypto versus stocks. Can you explain and expand a bit more on that? Sure. So there's a wash sale rule that applies to securities. Essentially, if you I believe it's if you sell and then buy back within 30 days, that loss doesn't apply. It gets re-rolled into your cost basis. So if you have a $10,000 loss, say on like Bitcoin, you bought it in the peak of 21, you sold at some point after and then you bought it back again, you wouldn't be able to capture that $10,000 loss, uh, assuming Bitcoin was a security. In Bitcoin, you can do it because there is no wash rule. The only dilemma is while there isn't a wash rule, we do have other tax doctrines, such as uh, there's like the sham transaction one, there's like an economic substance one, there's like five or six of them that are 
essentially the same thing, but worded a little differently. <laughs> now, those only apply <laughs> if you get audited. Like there's that as far as risk goes. Um, so my general advice to people is just, you know, don't do it. Avoid, you know, wait 30 days if possible. Uh, it's a little bit safer. Alternatively, like just if you're going to do it, don't do it within like a week. Uh, you know, at least give it that seven days. If you do it the same day, it's a stronger argument for the IRS to apply one of those other doctrines, where at least with how volatile crypto is, you know, you could say, hey, you know, USD was a dollar and then next week it's 10 cents. So even though it's only a week, there's so much volatility in assets sometimes that you can argue that those doctrines don't apply. Can you expand a bit on those doctrines? Because I think this is for me definitely the first time that, that I'm hearing of, of some of these. Yeah, so the some of these doctrines, and you're definitely going to want to like hire a professional if this is your fact pattern, is that you can't do things just because of taxes, which is ironic because that's kind of why we do things at the end of the year, right? Tax loss <laughs> harvesting, et cetera. Um, so essentially, if you're doing something just to lower your taxes, there are a few doctrines that say, hey, you can't do that. You need a purpose besides just taxes. So if you can point to something saying like, hey, Bitcoin price dropped really hard. That scared me. You're good. But if all you can say is, I wanted to lower my taxes, it's possible for that to be challenged. Okay. So so could you say uh, you woke up in the morning and the Bitcoin price had dropped and that really scared you. And then you had breakfast. And you're like, actually, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. And you I mean, back in. like I said, within a day is a bit rough. Now, if there's something crazy that goes on, like, you know, you, you got scared, the prices dropped, and then by after breakfast, every ETF got, you know, approved and prices started soaring and you wanted to FOMO in, that's, you know, that's a stronger argument. So it just really depends on the facts and how creative your lawyer can be. <laughs> oh, good. And, and I guess back to hire a professional if you're in this particular yes. situation. Uh, the other thing that you did mention, and I know many of the folks uh, watching want to say hi to Rick as, as well. Um, crypto taxes are hard. I'm very glad that we're covering this. And hi, Justin. Um, a lot of folks are into providing liquidity. Can you talk a bit about how liquidity pools are treated from a tax perspective? So here, there's kind of two options. You have a non-taxable route and a taxable route. Uh, I like the non-taxable route. <laughs> you say that, but I, I personally am a fan of the taxable just because of the data. Um, so non-taxable is harder from a data standpoint. So meaning if you want a professional to actually reconcile it, it's going to cost you more in professional fees. So if you're playing around with a couple hundred bucks, you might as well go the taxable route, assuming you're hiring a professional. But if you're playing around with like 50 grand plus, then, you know, you have the, the spread to spare, in my opinion. Um, so non-taxable just means, you know, you put in X and Y and hopefully you get more X and more Y and that difference is income. Like, let's say you put in 10 ETH and 1,000 USDC, you get back 12 ETH and 1,200 USDC, that 2 ETH and 200 USDC would just be income and fair market value. The taxable route is to say, you know, that initial entry is a sale and we transfer, you know, based on the fair market value of the assets, we transfer that into the cost basis of like the marker token, so like a USDC, uh, UNIBT, UNIB2 NFT, right? And then when you exit it, that goes away, and then that goes uh, sold for whatever you receive. So it's a little bit that way too, like the taxable route will capture your income in like a short-term, generally capital gain or loss format versus ordinary income. So that also can be beneficial, uh, assuming, you know, it helps out with your other gains. Now, and another thing that a lot of these liquidity pools have 
are incentives for providing that liquidity? You know, it may be paid in an inflating uh, DEX token. Um, how are those treated? Uh, are they also treated as capital gains or are they treated somehow differently? Um, it depends on like how you're receiving it. So if you're, if it's like you just get more tokens back because of this incentive, you know, it depends on your position. If you're putting in token A and B and they're giving you token C as like a incentive, a token C is most likely going to be ordinary income. Whether that's a, an airdrop or being paid for services, both are going to end up in the same bracket. So just kind of a little bit depends on the facts, but most likely ordinary income. That's very, very interesting because one thing to consider is uh, a lot of people offer these or uh, liquidity uh, DEXs offer them to uh, offset the risk of impermanent loss. Um, and then I guess you're saying that uh, because the, those incentive rewards are taxed at ordinary income, potentially there's a 50% tax on what you're earning there. So something to consider as you're diving into something like providing liquidity is that the incentives aren't the rate that you're getting um, necessarily. That's not what you get to keep. Correct. Now, another thing that often happens with some of these tokens is you get the tokens and you know at time time one so on monday they're going to be worth a, a dollar each and because they're inflating so rapidly uh, maybe you get to the end of the month and now they're worth 50 cents from a tax perspective how do you treat that do you, is, is it taxable at the uh, value that you originally got it or the value that you sold it? so when you receive income in the form of crypto that fair market value becomes your cost base so if you got you know five tokens at a dollar each your cost basis for that lot's $5. And then eventually, if you sold it for a dollar, all five of them, you'd have a $4 capital loss. But that loss wouldn't offset the <laughs> ordinary income until the end, right? So if that's all you did, they would offset because you're allowed to offset up to 3,000 in losses. But say you had other things, you know, they would go into their respective bucket. Ah, okay. So there's actually a risk here that you could be owning a lot more in these tokens. And if you don't regularly sell them off, you'd be in a situation where you didn't actually receive enough money to even pay the taxes. Yeah, so the, the same as the uh, staking rule of thumb I previously mentioned, where like if it's an income event, you really do want to sell maybe around 30% of it right away, just, think, just so you don't end up like that, right? You know, maybe you're getting a ton of these tokens, they're worth a lot, and you have 100K of income at the end of the year, but now the tokens are worthless. The IRS doesn't really care. They want their money, you owe it to them, and even though you lost value, it's only going to help you in the future, assuming nothing else, right? That seems unfair. It does, but apparently that's where we need Congress to come in, write some new laws. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they change, like, a lot of these staking and airdrops to more like a $0 cost basis position. I think that's a lot more fair, especially for crypto, just because things move quick, prices are so volatile. But until that, you know, happens legally... Uh, we're kind of stuck where we are. Got it, got it. So you mentioned airdrops. Um, th there's a case that I've heard a few people be a little concerned about, which is what happens if you get uh, someone randomly airdropping you a token that on the first day is worth, say, $10,000, but it's just some scam. And so on the second day, it's worth zero. Um, so that's kind of where I think tax professionals get a little too legal. Uh, those are more gifts than like income events. Now the IRS hasn't like given us good guidelines there as they don't really like to talk about crypto much. So essentially a gift is just when someone gives you something and expects nothing in return. So if I send you to Ethereum and you're like, who sent me this, right? 
that's just a gift. But the thing is, if you don't have a gift letter, your cost basis is zero. So I really wouldn't worry too much about those. It's just your cost basis is going to be mm. zero. Um, so that way, if you never touch it, you have nothing to worry about. And if you sell it, whatever you sell, it's going to be 100% capital gain. Yeah, and I think Rick's uh, very vehemently agree with you that tax laws need to be fixed um, and that there are some disadvantage disadvantages. Rick took the, uh, I think, very brave step to convert his 401k to a long-term crypto savings account. Um, and maybe this is a good spot to start talking about uh, crypto within tax-advantaged accounts like 401ks, like IRAs. Um, how is it treated in those instances? Is there any difference between that and traditional investments? I haven't had the opportunity to delve too deep into them. It depends on how they have to do their accounting. If they're more mark to market, which is taking like your portfolio's balance at the end of the year versus the beginning, and that's just your capital gain slash loss, that's a lot easier. I mean, that takes all of half an hour. Um, and that can be a lot stronger too, just because you don't have to go through every transaction line by line. So I like the idea of that, at least from an accounting perspective for those. I couldn't tell you on the rest is I haven't, had the opportunity to delve into them as much. Awesome, awesome. And I think that's fair. I think there's a lot to uh, ramp up on here. Um, Ellie, hi, welcome to the show. Uh, she's saying that she needed this live three months ago <laughs> before <laughs> before taxes. And maybe kind of a follow-on question for you is, why is it important for us to start talking about this now? I mean, most people aren't going to worry about taxes until you know probably March next year. Yeah, uh, I think that's the worst thing you can do as a crypto tax user is wait until March. Unlike traditional taxes, you almost want to start crypto like that first week of January uh, as that allows you to pull the data from last year right away. And so if you wait until March, what's going to happen is, one, if you need a professional, they're all swamped. You're not going to get anyone that says, yes, I'll get you done by April unless you're super easy. And even then, that's unlikely. And, and two, you're putting yourself in like just a really risky time constraint because errors in the data can be crazy for crypto. Mm -hmm. And unlike traditional taxes, not everyone's just giving you a form that's a 1099 or, you know, whatever. And that's all you have to give your accountant. You have to do most, if not all of the legwork yourself. <laughs> um, and that's complicated and errors happen. So you definitely want the time to make sure it's accurate so that if you get audited in the future, you know, you don't have like an unfortunate tax bill in the future. Yeah, I know for myself, I've definitely spent uh, more hours and days than I would like going through and correcting the transactions because for whatever reason, my, you know, Coinly or whoever I'm using gets it wrong and you just yeah. have to go through. Um, <laughs> South Padre Tony, hi. He's saying he just signed his tax docs yesterday. Uh, yikes. <laughs> I mean, if he extended, that's good. He's got until October. So props <laughs> for getting it done before October. <laughs> Uh, now, I had a question about some of these, you know, Cointracker and Coinly and, and these other services. Uh, you've obviously, you know, worked with a, a lot of different clients. How reliable are these services? And uh, does that expose people to any additional risk versus using a professional? Uh, so it depends on your data set. I think some softwares are better than others. I personally wouldn't trust any of them. And what I, what I mean by trust is... I would test their calculations and I would test their DeFi pullers before you go ahead and do your full data set. Meaning I would just come up with like a simple demo data set. You know, if I sold a Bitcoin, you know, if I bought it at 10K and I sold it at 15K and you plug in some dates, you just want to see like the 5K, you know, make sure that their math is correct. And then you're going to want to plug in like an Ethereum address and make sure that the final balance matches what's on the blockchain. 
Uh, I've seen, you know, almost every one of these is going to have some bug when it comes to DeFi data pooling, which is unfortunate. Sometimes that's not material. Other times it is. So you just don't want to be on the receiving end of when it is material. And ultimately, you know, your calculations need to be accurate. And the IRS isn't going to give you a free pass because you used Coinly or coin tracking, or whatever. So if that software is incorrect and you get audited and the IRS proves that you were incorrect, uh, you know, unfortunately, you're not going to get a pass from using the software. And what, what does it look like for, I think a lot of people are afraid of an audit and, and the whole process and many folks haven't been through one. So what does that look like for someone on the receiving end? And what are the penalties for perhaps, you know, the software making a mistake and you're not getting everything fully correct? So this is where like materiality comes into play. If the IRS audits you, the first thing they're probably going to ask for is your inventory. And your inventory is just a list of all your exchanges and wallets that you've used. And then from there, you know, and that can be something your software exports or something you uh, keep on the side, like separate from the software. You give that to them. And after that, they'll probably ask for like API keys or exchange CSVs since they don't have access. Uh, they'll probably use their own tax software and not sure which one they use, but they'll pull the DeFi data themselves. And then they'll do their own crypto reconciliation. I haven't gotten past that part in an audit because most of the time they settle. I'm not sure. So like the thing that is very apparent when I'm helping clients is like the facts change how I, you know, manipulate the data. And so if they're not asking you about what's going on, they'll never get the right result. So I think that comes down to eventually in an audit, a little bit of a, a fight and then see how much they want to push. Because if the numbers are small, like if it's, you know, a couple hundred dollars spread, they might just settle or it might just be cheaper for you to pay them 300 bucks, right? That's not the end of the world. Where uh, if the spread's like six figures, then you're probably going to want to lay off. Hire a professional. <laughs> and, and what does that look like if the spread is is large like that? Like, a, is there a large fine, or what? What is the worst outcome that people have? The worst outcome is the IRS proving you were wrong, uh, and then assessing a balance. So if you paid, let's say, let's use some big numbers. If you paid 100k in taxes, right? And the IRS said, hey, you actually owed us 200K. That's a $100,000 spread. They'll charge you penalties and interest. Penalties depend on like what you did when you filed, et cetera. Interest accrues forever until they like assess you and you, know, you pay. Uh, so I think the numbers come out to like, if it's two years and it's 100K, it may be like 40% more. So that 100K that you owe may now be up to like 140. And that's not even assuming like the worst case uh, penalties. There are some penalties like failure to file uh, and another one that can stack up to like another 50. So it can be quite significant. Now, it really depends on your balance. You know, if your balance is 500 bucks, if it doubles to a thousand, it hurts, but it's not going to like, you know, generally cripple most people. If it's a hundred K and it doubles, that's a different story. So. Yeah, so be, be cautious of the fines. Uh, you know, the joke that, that runs around crypto Twitter is uh, you'll get put in prison. Uh, is there a path to prison for all of this? I mean, we've heard about like um, there is, famous but, gangsters who are put in prison. For yeah, tax. there is, but I, I really don't think most people end up in prison. The only way I see you ending up in prison is if you're like intentionally committing tax fraud. And even then, it probably needs to be significant. Um, besides that, like there, this is a very underdeveloped industry at the moment. So if you're doing the best you can and you know, you're putting your best foot forward, you're not going to go to prison. I can promise you that. Now, if you're, you know, doing something you shouldn't, that's maybe illegal and you're, you know, doing it through crypto, that's a different story. But that's not really a, a crypto problem. So. 
yeah, it's a less of a tax issue and more of a just general fraud and and yeah. and I think that's that's perhaps a little comforting for folks. I mean, the the fifty percent fine obviously is not a thing anyone wants to get, but uh, you know the fact that there's some amount of reasonableness uh, from the IRS. Yeah, yeah, you got to remember too, the IRS is more of a business. They're just trying to get as much money as possible, so they're going to prefer getting money from you rather than you know sending you somewhere else to go through a long legal battle because that means they may get less money from you. Um, so they're generally just going to settle and say, pay us most of the time. Again, depends on your facts and what you did. But for most people, I, I really wouldn't be too concerned about you. I have a suggestion for the IRS, if they're running a business and want to make as much money as possible, uh, create some goods and services that people want, and we will pay you for them. <laughs> yes. Um, now, I know a lot of people, myself included, have ended up in a situation where some of the custodians for crypto have gone bankrupt. Uh, I think Voyagers is one example that recently came out of that. Um, and so folks have had to effectively pay taxes on crypto they have no access to. Uh, and then at some point in time, they'll get a portion of that back uh, in kind of the settlement for the bankruptcy. How are those treated? Like what happens through that process? Do, do people have to pay uh, that that? original balance on the on the crypto for taxes or can you wait until afterwards and, and after everything's settled up um so like if you're staking on one of those bankrupt platforms and you can't actually access the crypto you don't have to count that staking as income because you don't have dominion and control mm -hmm. but besides that like if you did stuff right say in DeFi land you moved it to voyager and now voyager's gone you still have to pay taxes on whatever you did in DeFi land and then for whatever losses that occur, you can't claim them until after bankruptcy, which is the answer no one likes to hear. Uh, but that is what the IRS you know, has stated. That's kind of what our case law points to. So unfortunately, you just have to wait it out. And it seems like that's going to take a few years. So it's a tough spot. That's pretty awful. Now that loss, <laughs> yes. is, is that like short-term or long-term capital gains loss? Or can it actually be taken off your ordinary income? It would be a capital loss. And to which one? I am not sure. I haven't, you know, had a client that has finished a bankruptcy proceeding. <laughs> so I've had to do the research on whether they can take it, which ultimately ends up with no. None of them have gotten to the end yet. So in a few years, I'll, I'll know that answer. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a little unfortunate. Um, so good luck to everyone who's in the same situation as me. Uh, keep paying your taxes on crypto you have no access to. Um, welcome to America. The the uh, question a lot of people ask is, okay, great. So there's the set of tax laws. How can I as an individual be most efficient about my tax treatment to kind of minimize my tax burden as much as legally possible? Uh, do you have any suggestions for folks here? Um, I think the, there's not really a whole ton you can do from activity standpoints, right? I think the best thing you can do from like, accounting data standpoint is don't lose any of it, which, you know, is a hard ask, especially with how quick exchanges kind of implode. Uh, but having your full data is going to make you not have to overpay taxes. Or if you are missing something, like say you don't have your FTX data, the best thing you can do is kind of guesstimate. And, you know, unfortunately, you have to guesstimate on the side of conservative, which means you're going to end up overpaying. Now, is that significant? I don't know. Kind of just depends. But for some clients it is, some it isn't. Just making sure you have all of your data is the best thing you can do from a tax standpoint. Awesome. I think that's that's great advice. Now, 
some people might be thinking, okay, this is great, but you know, I've got it. I'm going to use Coin Tracker and I'm going to do my own crypto taxes. Uh, what would you say is the point where people should uh, start to consider professional help versus doing it themselves? There's obviously some amount that people could comfortably do themselves, but maybe uh, there's a point that you'd say like, okay, it's getting too complicated now. You need to talk to a professional. <laughs> Uh, I feel like this was very ironic. I just made a YouTube video about this yesterday. So that's on our channel, uh, Founder CPA on YouTube. So the three scenarios are going to be when you have the funds and you don't want to put in the time, right? That's probably not most people, but there are some people who just have large portfolios, did a lot of activity and just don't want to be bothered. That's the first one. The second one is when accuracy is your main concern. I've had people with very simple data sets, but they're playing around with big numbers. And so they just really want to make sure that they're accurate so nothing comes back to bite them in the future. I think that's the smartest play because essentially taxes are all about protecting your future financial wealth. And I know most people don't view it that way, but that's kind of how I view it. By doing taxes correctly today, you can make sure that you don't lose money in the future. And then the third one is when your data set's really complex. And this generally involves a lot of DeFi. So like if you're just buying NFTs, that's not too bad. It depends on the chain. Um, but like Ethereum and the uh, EVM chains are pretty simple. But once you start getting into like derivatives, shorts, futures, et cetera, uh, none of the softwares can handle that data correctly. So that's when you're either going to want to do your own research and figure out how to do it, or you're going to want to hire a professional. And I'm teeing up Rick's question here, who's asking if um, found the CPA and if Justin, you have any opening for new clients? Um, I think as many people are watching here thinking, okay, maybe, maybe that is a compelling case for me to talk to a professional. Uh, are you taking new clients? Uh, currently, we do have some capacity. It depends on like how much work it is. Uh, and so we do offer free consultations. You can find us at our website, contact us, and we can schedule free consultations with you, and kind of go over your situation. You know, for most people, I'd say we probably have some capacity. Now, if you're someone with a million transactions, yeah, probably not. Um, so it just <laughs> depends on the facts. But for most, probably yes. Awesome. And this might be related to the, the bankruptcy question uh, in, in kind of a different aspect, which is a lot of us have uh, bought tokens or bought NFTs that have since rugged. Uh, would that also count as a capital loss in that case? If you still hold the asset, no, you need to trigger a taxable disposition. So if the price dropped, you need to swap it for something, or you can take the slightly more aggressive route and burn it. If you go the mm -hmm. burn route, you're going to want to make a memo that states, like, you know, and do some research that there isn't liquidity out there, no one's buying this thing, and then you, you know, sent it to a, a very popular burn address, and I would even document that this is indeed a burn address. So if you still hold it, unfortunately, no, but you can dispose of it to trigger the loss. Ah, interesting. Okay, so there's there's some extra steps you need to take to trigger the loss, but um, it, it still would be a, a capital gains loss. It wouldn't count against your ordinary income. No, not until the end. Until the end. Okay, awesome, awesome. Now, uh, one thing that we did talk about before the show was you said, hey, there's some best practices you'd like to make sure that people follow. Um, and perhaps this is the, like, get your, your notepad out, write these down, because if you listen to nothing else, listen to the best practices. So, Justin, what are some of the best practices people can take? So, this is the thing people probably want to hear the least, but keep notes. So, the first one is going to be, especially in DeFi, when you're doing stuff, just keep like a simple Excel document of like transaction hashes and what you actually did. And don't try and put it in like tax terms. Put it as in like, hey, I moved assets or I staked this. Just put it in however you view it. 
and then you know either yourself or a professional can sort of decode that since we are you know pretty well versed in all the terminology anyways that's the most important thing you can do because DeFi data can come in very wonky it's very hard to understand without more input from the client and then the second thing you can do is keep an inventory document just a list of all your exchanges and wallets and never delete any of it just keep expanding upon it that way you know if someone needs to come and build your data set from scratch or start from the beginning you're not missing something so I see this a lot with clients. Uh, some clients just you know, forget a wallet, others try and play games. Uh, I can tell when something's missing. I don't know if it's you know, your wallet specifically, but there'll be something called unmatched transfer. So I'll see inflows and outflows out of your wallet that I'm trying to reconcile. And generally that leads to, oh, I missed a wallet or I forgot about it, or I was just trying not to give it to you. So like, <laughs> if someone's auditing you, they can tell to a degree that something's missing. And so by having that all to start, it not only makes the process faster, it'll lower the service bill at the end of the day. So it'll take me less time to reconcile if I have all the data to start. And that can be quite significant. Okay, so keep track of your data. Uh, is there anything else you'd say is kind of a best practice? Um, I know earlier you mentioned get started early in January as, as yeah. another kind of practice. If you wanted to stay on top of your taxes, what I would do is engage a firm by December. They won't start until January, but at least you can make sure they have your inventory and are ready to go. Uh, for some clients, that's really simple. Other clients, that's a bit more work. And then come January, just have them press the green button and get started. That way, you'll pretty much guaranteed to be done like probably mid-March, early April at the latest. And then you'll have time to file your taxes without an extension. If you're reaching out to a crypto tax firm like late February, early March, odds are we're booked at least through April. Most of us have capacity if you want to extend through October, but then that starts to accrue interest. So as far as like minimizing taxes, start earlier. And and as far as, you know, cross-chain, I know we've got people here on a number of different chains in, in the chat who spend a lot of time there. Uh, which do you support? And, and I guess, is there a, a difference in chains that follow the account-based model like Ethereum? I know there's some like Bitcoin and Cardano, which use UTXOs, which is a little different as far as accounting. Um, so like founders can support all chains. It kind of just depends on like our data puller. So the main source I use, or the main website is Crypto Tax Calculator. I use them for a lot of DeFi data and they support most chains at this point. Now there are some that they don't support like Moon River, Moonbeam. Uh, when that pops up, I usually just have to screen scrape. Or if it's a ton of data, what I'll do is uh, pull on my CS background and write like a DeFi data puller script in Python, finding like an API endpoint from someone's node. That's very rare, but I, I have had to do that in the past. I had a few clients with a couple million transactions on Polygon, so no software supports that. So I had to come up with something custom. <laughs> Now, you, you say that I'm curious if you have any other like uh, crazy stories of situations which are just unique and odd that uh, folks might be interested in hearing about. Um, sure. I feel like most of my unique situations are the prospect sales calls that don't actually end up being our clients. So one of those that I've heard about, this wasn't me, but this was an associate at an old firm. He had a sales call where a guy made like the craziest arbitrage bot. And he was doing essentially like Forex, Forex trading, but with crypto. So he would take Bitcoin from one exchange, move it to another exchange. And because of the price variance, he'd make a couple pennies. And so this guy, and I think it was a young kid too, let the bot go for an entire year. And he had something like 
53 million in profit and a couple billion transactions. And so we had to turn that one down since it's not something uh, a human can support. You really need some software guys to you know, reconcile all of that. Um, alternatively, I think we told them to reach out to some lawyers and try and do mark the market. I don't know how you would reconcile 83 billion transactions, but that was a fun one. A lot of times, the one that comes up a lot is I staked a lot. You know, I've seen Cake on BSC a whole ton, and I always feel bad for these guys where they staked a ton, Cake dropped immensely, they have 150k in income, their portfolio is worth nothing, but the IRS still wants their 40 grand. So I've had to listen to a lot of those. Some of them have been able to help uh, at least get their data accurate. Others. Uh, not sure what they did, but that's always like an unfortunate sales call. And then, you know, my favorite ones are the memers. So I've had some people who just went all in in like Doge in 2018. I had a recent one with Pepe. So it's always fun seeing people just put, you know, big numbers and fun coins and walk away very successful. Awesome, awesome. So it, do, it does happen. Uh, yes. again, not, not financial advice. Don't, don't yellow everything no, no. on a meme coin. <laughs> For every one I've seen succeed, I, I've seen multiple not. Keep that in mind, but it does happen, you know, some percent. Yeah, and I, and I can say it's it's very painful to be paying taxes on a coin that's gone to zero. As a former lunar investor, yeah, myself, <laughs> <laughs> this last year was not not pleasant at all. Um, so we've covered a lot of the different aspects in terms of uh, you know taxes. Is there anything you feel like we haven't yet covered that's important for folks to to realize? The thing I would do before diving into your own taxes is really just do research on all the concepts and softwares and just try and get a better high-level understanding of things. I think what a lot of people, or at least from my perspective, a lot of clients that I get are people that just, I did crypto stuff, I, you know, Googled software and tried to make it work and it didn't. I think for a lot of people, your data sets are simple and are something you can probably do yourself without having to pay a professional a couple thousand dollars. But you, you do unfortunately need to spend that, you know, five hours understanding the concepts you know, understanding the software and making sure you have it down before you even start. Uh, so that'd be my number one suggestion. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Justin, thank you so much for spending the time here. I know this is a, a topic that most people don't want to put mindshare to until they have to, uh, but I'm glad that we're here preparing early uh, and then people have a chance to, you know, take notes, uh, keep their, their accounts and their transactions handy. Um, and once again, if folks would like to reach out to you, perhaps they're looking for someone to support them with taxes, where did they find you? Uh, so our website, let me just double check it to make sure, it's founderscpa.com. And we have a contact us page in our title bar, and you can fill that out. And if it's crypto related, there's a box that says like digital assets, it will end up in my inbox and I'll reach out. Awesome, awesome. And we do have those links down below in the description as well. Um, if you have any additional questions or, or, or comments on taxes, uh, please pop them down in the comments as well. You, you know, I think we're very early in the space. I'm sure there's going to be lots of conversations going forward about taxes. Uh, and so knowing what you're encountering will, will definitely be helpful. Uh, to everyone who is here asking questions, following along, engaging, I appreciate you as well. Uh, if you enjoy conversations like this where we get a little bit deeper below the surface, have a chance to speak with true experts in the field, uh, please like this video, subscribe, do all the YouTube things. That definitely helps us here on the show. Uh, once again, Justin, thank you, and I'll see you all later. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Have a great one.